And I want to read from you from Acts 2, from verse 37 to 47, and then later from Acts 5 and 6. So we'll start our scripture reading, Acts 2, from verse 37 to 47, and that's referring to the history of the Pentecost, and this is in connection with the sermon Peter held at Pentecost. Now we read in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to him. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's now continue our reading, Acts 5, verse 41, to chapter 6, verse 7. And chapter 6, verse 1 to 7 will be the text of the sermon this morning. We'll start from chapter 5, verse 41, and that's after the apostles have been released. So they, the apostles, went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now follows the text of verses 1 to 7. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That's our script reading. Let us now pray. Thank you, Father, that we could open the scriptures again through which you speak to us. We now look forward to the proclamation of that word. Speak, Lord, through your servant. May he proclaim your word in all its fullness with clarity and boldness. Enlighten our hearts and minds that we may understand and embrace what you have in store for us. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, since Pentecost, the Christian church in Jerusalem grew miraculously to thousands of members. And what a, what a wonderful church life that must have been. What a fellowship and unity. What a joy and care for each other. Despite the threats and persecutions from the Sanhedrin, and despite the painful reminder of God's holiness in the history of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. The church continues to grow. God turns the attacks from outside and the suffering of the apostles into a blessing for the church. A wonderful picture of the early Christian church. But then you get the history of our text. A conflict arises in the church. A conflict that threatens the unity of the church and the progress of the gospel. Well, let's now have a closer look at that. When I preach to you the word of God under the theme, the unity of the early church preserved by the appointment of the seven. The unity of the early church preserved by the appointment of the seven. We'll consider three things. Firstly, the, the problem. Secondly, the solution. And thirdly, the blessing. So the problem, solution, and the blessing. 
is the Holy Spirit calls our attention to a conflict in that huge church at Jerusalem. In the rapidly growing church, there is a murmuring. There is a group in the church that has a serious complaint. A group that feels wronged. At the time, the church of Jerusalem was still exclusively Jewish. All members were converted Jews. Or proselytes as well. And among the Jews, there were two groups. First, the Hellenists, who were born outside the Promised Land, who speak Greek, and who have been influenced by Greek culture and customs. Then there are the Hebrews, who grew up in Judea, and spoke the Hebrew or Aramaic language. And they exclusively maintained Jewish culture and customs. Among the Jews in general, there was a natural suspicion between those two groups. And that suspicion also developed in the early church. A party spirit arose. Greek-speaking Jews versus Aramaic-speaking Jews. Party strife in the early church. This is the last thing one would expect in that church where everything seemed to be so harmonious. But remember, brothers and sisters, the church was not a perfect church. You'll never find a perfect church. They were not a perfect bunch of people. And therefore there was always the potential of conflict. We must therefore also today be vigilant. Even the so-called best congregation is a vulnerable congregation. The conflict arose in connection with the daily distribution. The Greek-speaking Jews complained to the Hebrew Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Perhaps proportionately, there were a large number of Greek-speaking widows there. After all, many Jews who lived in the dispersion, returned to Jerusalem during the last phase of their lives to spend their twilight years there and to die there. The conflict was about the daily serving of food. In Acts 2 verse 46, we read of the believers that they gathered faithfully at the temple every day and broke bread from house to house and enjoyed their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. The church therefore met in public in the temple for the public preaching and teaching 
of the gospel. And they gathered in the houses in a more closed circle. The pattern is also mentioned in Acts 5 verse 42, the words that precede our text. There we read, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This means, beloved, that despite their rapid growth, the believers continued with their daily house meetings. Besides the preaching and teaching, there are also the shared meals in the houses. And remember that the congregation of Jerusalem had many members at that time. On the basis of Acts 4, verse 4, we can think of a congregation of between five and 10,000 members, or even more. And if you think about it, then the communal meals in the homes must have been a huge, complex organisation with a prepara- what a preparation and work. At the meals, the believers celebrated their fellowship with one another. There they also took care of the poor among them, those who had no money for food. There in the house meetings, they gave each other what he or she needed. Gifts were brought in and distributed to the poor. Apparently this service, the organisation of the communal meals, the serving of the tables, was in the hands of the native Hebrews. The Greek-speaking Jews complained that their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. What is meant by this? Are those widows, widows here poor widows who should receive support but don't get it or don't get it enough? This is how the text is often explained. However, there's another explanation that has a lot going for it. The word translated as serving is the word diaconia, which literally means service. As mentioned, the communal meals at the homes required a lot of preparation, organisation and service. It is quite possible that the Greek-speaking widows were passed by in that work of service. They're not actively involved in it. They were probably unintentionally overlooked by the leaders and organisers. If one keeps in mind the difference in language and possibly even culture, then this is understandable. It would be easier for the Hebrews organising the meals to ask people of their own kind to help out. 
According to this view, we should not see these widows as poor, but as helpers, as is also the case in Acts 9 with Tabitha or Dorcas. The Greek-speaking Jews do not complain because they receive too little, but because their widows are not sufficiently involved in the daily serving of the tables, in the preparation and serving of the meals. Brothers and sisters, besides this problem, there is also the danger that the preaching begins to suffer from it. Verse 2. The apostles are ultimately responsible for those meetings. If they have to become more involved in the practical organisation of those gatherings and meals, they would have almost no, no time left for preaching and teaching. The minister of the word, their main task, would suffer as a result. The Greek-speaking Jews are dissatisfied. There is bitterness, murmuring, a conflict. We also get the impression that the apostles are in danger of being overburdened. Although it was precisely through the preaching of the apostles that the congregation grew so much. And if that preaching suffers, then the growth of the church will also suffer. The church is therefore facing a serious problem. A group in the congregation is being neglected. The unity of the church is in jeopardy. Conflicts always cause frustrations in interpersonal relationships. You get it that people no longer greet each other or start avoiding each other. Beloved, if there is a conflict in the church, then you can do two things. You can try to solve it, or you can let it lie, with the result that the unrest continues or gets even worse. Factions then easily arise. People grow apart because they take sides in a conflict. Well, beloved, it's remarkable that the conflict is recognised in the early church. The apostles don't brush it aside. Nor do they warn the Hellenists to stop complaining. No, they admit something is wrong. What is then their solution? That's the second point. The apostles discussed the matter with the congregation. The members are called together. The apostles put the problem on the table. The bitterness of the Greek-speaking Jews and their own problem of being distracted from the preaching. That open communication with the congregation is a valuable lesson for us. The congregation is involved in solving the problem. The solution, the apostles suggest, 
choose seven men who can take responsibility for this matter. A new team of office bearers is being set up to combat the problem. The seven men must be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Note those requirements. And note that in those requirements, the apostles focus on the character of the men to be chosen. The apostles are far more concerned with the internal quality of the men than their outward appearance. The seven will be responsible for the spiritual leadership regarding the practice of the communion of saints. For the task, they must above all be full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who establishes the communion of saints. And only those who are filled with the Holy Spirit can lead in that communion. The seven will have to interact with people, work together, find practical solutions, and therefore wisdom will be needed. Sensitivity, the art of dealing with difficult and sensitive situations. It was because of a lack of wisdom that the Greek-speaking were overlooked. Human wisdom in itself is not sufficient. The spiritual fellowship in Christ requires leaders who are full of the Spirit. And to be full of the Spirit means to be full of the Word of the Spirit. Because with the Word of the Spirit that we come to the members. A special team of seven is called into being. Is this the institution of the office of deacon? Maybe not completely. The seven in Jerusalem were a special team for the huge church in Jerusalem to solve their concrete problems. And later it will appear that the seven also get involved in the preaching of the word. Yet the specific task for which these men have been chosen, namely serving the tables, will later become the specific task of the brothers' deacons. Already in this chapter we then see the separation being made between preaching and teaching and diaconal work in the congregation. And note that the congregation is not bypassed. The apostles involve them. They must choose seven men. Afterwards, the apostles appoint and install them. The whole congregation is happy with the apostles' proposal. We see the wonderful unity being restored. 
Those who are dissatisfied also agree. The apostles act with wisdom. The unity of the church is very valuable to them. And beloved, the names of the seven indicate that the seven were chosen from among the Greek-speaking Jews. It also shows wisdom. There was murmuring among the Greek-speaking Jews. From their circle, seven men are now chosen. The bitterness must disappear. Then the conflict can be resolved in open communication with all involved. Consequently, the apostles installed them in their office by laying their hands on them. Yes, even though their service was mainly related to the practical needs in the congregation, it was important to lay hands on them. They were called to a spiritual office. Practical service is also spiritual service. Don't underestimate it. When you are called to the office of deacon to serve the Lord in practical ways, you should count it as a privilege. This is not an unspiritual burden, but fully a spiritual service to which you are called. Brothers and sisters, it's striking that only seven men are chosen. This certainly is a very small number for a congregation of between five and ten thousand members. They are put in charge of this diaconal service. In other words, they have to manage it. The seven should not do all the work themselves. This would be impossible in such a large congregation. No, they have to manage it. Coordinate the daily care. Organise the meals. They must ensure that everything is well organised. Everything runs smoothly in the church. They must integrate the Hebrews and the Hellenist Jews into the service. They must direct the exercise of the communion of saints and not do everything themselves. Well, this is a good lesson for us today. We soon think that more office bearers are necessary. There is so much work to do. Indeed, it may be necessary. But if we think about the situation in Jerusalem, seven office bearers for five to ten thousand members, then we realise that office bearers should not do all the work themselves. Office bearers should look for the gifts within the congregation.
They must stimulate the members and equip them for works of service. As office bearers, we must involve the members themselves wherever that's possible. A requirement for this is, of course, that we as members also let ourselves be stimulated and involved. Well, the apostles again receive the time and space for their specific task, the ministry of the word and prayer. The unity in the church is restored. Frustration overcome. The apostles understood that their their task to see to it that everything in a congregation would be done decently and in good order. Well, what is the result of the resolution of the conflict? That's the third point, the blessing. We read about the blessing in verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The word of God kept on spreading. It refers to the increase of the preaching of the apostles. Because of the conflict, the apostles were somewhat hindered in their actual task. That conflict's now resolved. The apostles get the space, the time, the mental peace necessary for their preaching and teaching. The word spreads. Christ is proclaimed in spirit and in power. Prayers are fervently sent up to him. The second blessing is the number of the disciples increases greatly. The resolution of the conflict is followed by a rapid growth of the congregation. The third blessing is that a large number of priests become obedient to the faith. Well, if there was one group that had resisted Christ and his apostles most, it was the priests. But the power of the word, yes, the power of Christ's spirit proves to be stronger than their opposition. The resolution of the conflict, of conflicts in the church, is not only for the glory of God, but also for the well-being of the congregation and for the progress of the gospel. Yes, it is the progress of the gospel that was at stake here. Just as it is the progress of the gospel that is at stake with every conflict in the church. Church unity is vital. When we're unified with Christ and each other, it will have a huge impact on the spread of the gospel. In his high priestly prayer of John 17, the Lord Jesus prays for those who believe in him through the word of the apostles, that they may all be one, 
even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they all may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Notice those last words. So that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity in the faith, unity in God, is vital for the Christian witness. It is a reflection of the unity between God the Father and God the Son. It is a reflection of God's love for us. It points the world to the love of God the Father in sending his Son to save a fallen world so that the world may believe that you sent me. In the early church, this restored unity in Christ has a huge impact on the spread of the gospel. Through this, the word could again go out with increased power and the mutual care within the congregation, the function, good functioning of the communion of saints supported that message instead of undermining it. The congregation again lived the gospel. People could see with their own eyes how the needy and vulnerable in that church were being cared for with great love and diligence. People could see how the gospel changed hearts and lives and how the gospel created a community, a fellowship so different to what one meets in the world around you. In the early church, God granted a huge growth in numbers. Today, such a growth has not been promised to us. But never underestimate the value of church unity. The value of the proper functioning of the offices and the proper functioning of the communion of saints. True love and unity within the church supports the gospel message. Throughout history, and especially during difficult times, such as during wars, pandemics, other disasters, outsiders have often been impressed with what God was doing within his church and through his church. That they started taking notice of them and of the gospel. Today, many people want to focus only on growth in the church without worrying about the offices. They want nothing to do with the debate about who, according to scripture, may be office bearer 
or whether, for example, women may indeed be office bearers. No, they consider this, it to be a waste of time and energy to keep busy with that. Let us rather continue with what they consider to be the real work of the church, namely to reach out to the less privileged and vulnerable in society. Well, beloved, here a false dilemma is created. What was central to the growth in Act 6? It was not contempt of the office. It was not contempt of God's revealed truths. It was precisely the optimal functioning of the officers in the church, of the official preaching and teaching, and of the diaconal care. Besides, is it true that the main work of the church is to reach out to the less privileged and vulnerable in society? Notice the first and main blessing mentioned in our text. Namely, that the word of God kept on spreading. The main task of the church is to spread the gospel. Yes, then you can also reach out to the vulnerable in society. Help them where possible. But what should be our main major aim in such outreach activity? Is it just a matter of relieving people of their distress? No, our main aim should remain that they may get to know God and his word. Never lose sight of that ultimate goal that they may be saved, not just physically, but especially spiritually. This will also determine which organisations you as deacons work with when trying to provide relief to victims of disasters. Notice also what it says in Acts 6 verse 7 about those who become disciples. It says that a great number of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Note those words, obedient to the faith. They don't just become good and noble citizens, but they become obedient to the faith. And this means that they submit themselves to Christ, to the faith that was preached to them, to the word of the apostles. In all our each outreach work, this is what we seek, that people may come to faith, become 
obedient to the faith that they submit to Jesus Christ. Whether we today receive growth in the church or not is in God's hands. It's ultimately a gift of God. But this doesn't absolve us of our responsibility. Are we truly faithful in the special offices of elders and deacons and in the office of all believers? Are we really the prophets, priests and kings that God wants us to be? And do we show the true unity in the faith in Christ by working together with one mind towards that ultimate goal? There is room for self-examination. Let us remove any impediments there may be in our functioning as office bearers or as communion of saints. The unity is so important. Unresolved conflicts in the congregation are unacceptable. They hinder the progress of the gospel. Let us then do what we can to promote and preserve the unity in the church. And the Lord will bless it. Not necessarily through growth in numbers. That's something he determines. But he will bless it. Because peace in the church always serves the progress of the gospel. Whether it be internally or externally. Amen. Let us now pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your wisdom and care in providing the necessary distinct offices to your church. Grant that the offices here in the Silver Stream congregation may function well so that the unity and true faith may be maintained and the mutual care for each other may flourish. Grant that we may remain focused on your glory and the progress of your gospel. May we as church be a beacon of light in a dark world. Keep us free from conflicts or disunity. Liberate us from any obstacles that there may be for the good progress of your gospel grant that we all may live the gospel as your prophets priests and kings and may seize the opportunities to reach out to those around us who do not know or serve you preserve and increase your church bless and equip us to be faithful servants in your church and kingdom we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.